show from a heavy metal perspective. From Danzig to death, to Dark Throne to Dr. Shrinker. Buckle up, things are about to get heavy. This is the Metal Podcast. Let's rock and roll. Welcome to the Metal Podcast. I am your humble and uh, handsome and professional host, DJ, and I'm joined with, as always, with my my best, most trusted confidant. Um, if he were a food, he would be a mushroom because he is a fun guy. AC of Ancestors Call and co-host of the Metal Podcast. How are you today, sir? I'm great, and I often describe myself to others as a, a, a fun guy, but I never even bothered to associate it with mushrooms, but my goodness, the genius that comes out of your mouth. Yeah, it's kind of like a restaurant joke. I was in the industry for a bit longer than I, I would like, but uh, we have an incredible guest. Uh, it's been long overdue. I consider him a I consider him a close friend. He may not think the same, but <laughs> Mr. Ed, Ed Cohen, you've spent 58 years in the industry, uh, an absolute legend. You are the co-founder of the Connecticut Film um, Festival. You, you pretty much run the show there. I mean, it, it is an honor, sir, and thank you for, for being with us today. How are you? And, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Great to see you, DJ. In in the flesh. Yes. The digital uh, flesh. Yeah. The digital flesh. <laughs> yeah, and actually the organization that I co-founded is the Connecticut Film and TV Alliance. Okay. Inc. At this point, we're we're waiting for our 501c3 uh 501c3 designation coming back from the IRS. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But yeah, the 58 years of the music and that, the, the stories go on forever. <laughs> I'm sure. And it's amazing to to have that longevity in a business like this. Um, and you are the manager of Max DiCarlo. Is that correct? That is correct. Max is is like at the core of my being. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and you have described him as the heir apparent to John Williams. So that is not a uh um you know a small feat or or statement. So I'd like to, no, it, to hear <laughs> the, the fun part is that his music is such that he uh basically you play the music for somebody they say, Oh yeah, his music speaks for itself. It yeah, you don't have to go into an awful lot, but when you go into his background. Uh, there's really nobody that really meets all those standards. Right. Anyway. And, and it seems like he is uh, beyond a hard worker. I think you've said he works 10 hours a day or so. Um, that's, and, that's his regimen. 10 hours a day uh, doing his composition. Uh, he has over 10,400 compositions. He scores directly to manuscript. He, scores the entire thing sends it to either the budapest symphony the prague symphony the bbc london symphony and they record the tracks send it back to him he mixes it in dolby atmos and masters it um and just keeps on yeah I, the, the guy is just amazing he wrote the biggest hit for the biggest latin group uh rbd right <laughs> Yeah, it just 
he never stops. It, it, it's wonderful. And that, that, it's not derivative. Yeah, no, that's what's exciting to hear, especially and you yourself. It seems like you, you've got more things going on than ever, ever before that you're not planning on slowing down anytime soon. And either is Max. Oh, and that's no, no, that is, no. it is exciting to hear. <laughs> no, <laughs> the work is not funny, done yet. <laughs> no, the funny thing is the way I got into film is pitching match Max's music to directors and producers. And I call this, uh, this one direct, uh, one producer rather. And I played the music for him. He said, oh my God, he said, I got to get this to my director. Said, this is great. I said, well, okay, terrific. He said, yeah, but he won't listen to anything till post-production anyway. So, well, okay, that's fine. He said, well, listen, while we're waiting, you want to work on a movie? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm doing location scouting for a movie with Antonio Banderas. That's a hell of an intro to filmmaking. Oh, what movie? And uh, that was on um, Codename Banshee. It's uh, right now you can you can watch it on. I think it's on. It's either on Amazon or I don't know one of the, one of the streamers. Okay, that was a, good was that movie. A, was it more recent? Well, that was about two two and a half years ago it came out about two years ago and it's uh it's a good movie and next thing you knew they said hey you did a great job on that you want to do it again i said well absolutely so the next thing you know, <laughs> i'm doing location scouting and uh for a film with olga Kurilenko and don johnson and then they said hey we haven't hired a locations manager yet we think you're the best man for the job. You want it? I said, sure. I had no idea what the job entailed, but I was going to do it. <laughs> and so got in there and then they said, okay, did a great job. And uh, we get to the end of it. And uh, my, my landlady became the, the locate or uh, the set medic. And uh, they get to the end. They say, okay, Ed, now we can talk about Max doing the score, which was mm. my goal in the first place. <laughs> so I called Max. I said, Max, okay, pull the trigger. Cause I had given him the script when I was going to do the scouting. So within an hour, he had sent three pieces of music to the director, Zach Golden. He said, okay, Zach, according to your script, there are three possible avenues of comedy that are suggested by this script. Which is which of these pieces is closest to your vision for the comedy? And Zach said, oh, it's number two. Said, okay, great. The next morning, Zach wakes up. He has 20 pieces of music based on that, that piece. And he said, okay, which one of these is closest to your vision for the theme for the movie? He picked it immediately. Long story short, they ended up finishing the full score two months ahead of post-production schedule, which never happens, to rave reviews from the director, the uh, uh, post-production supervisor, the editor, and the uh, guys that did the opening credit animations. They said they never had music like that to animate to. 
And then Variety turned around when they reviewed the movie that was like high heat. And they said, uh, yeah, good movie, but it really kicked off with a great zippy uh, score from Max DiCarlo that got us through the endless list of executive producers. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so many and, moving. Uh, well, did, did he did he did he just overnight make all that stuff, or what? Did he have like a like he has his three pieces, and he essentially has a bunch of things to accompany those? Uh, no, he just he's amazing. He's kind of like if you picture a person with a, a computer sitting on his shoulders that has a terabyte of terabytes. It, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, all of the music that he creates, he just goes and goes and everything is new and fresh. And he knows exactly what he's written at all times. So whatever is suggested as a need, he probably has the music already recorded. Okay, yeah, that's and, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you, you don't just snap your fingers and have the the Budapest Symphony, you know, record something. Right, and, right. That's that's, that's <laughs> what I was, I was getting. At. I was like, that seems a little, um, but, no, but daunting but if he were able effect. to do that. Right. That that is the net effect of what this man can do. I mean. It, it's he's ready it's kind of indescribable <laughs> i i had a, another composer that i worked with before that was you know very very accomplished and as, as good as that guy was you know max just kind of leaves him in the dust have you ever seen the movie space raiders Mm, not sure a, i don't think so. it's a roger corman movie from the early 80s oh i think i heard about that yeah no i didn't see it yeah the the music was done by james horner and okay the the movie itself isn't interesting but like it, it's you know it's 1983 <laughs> so it, it's still like pretty early james horner but right it sounds like he the the music that he used was just unused tracks from Star Trek 2 II and 3 like and, and that's the that's the only notable thing about the movie is the music is done by James Horner who at the time was still relatively like small composer but you know eventually you know the guy does Titanic so he's one of the biggest names in music <laughs> but yeah that's just shabby yeah yeah but it, it just it's just like very obvious because it's it's Roger Corman and his whole thing was just like whatever you have that works, just just slap it in there. So he probably just had some unused music lying around. Yeah, yeah, you just you use this. It's outtakes from Star Trek Three. Like, whatever. So I was wondering <laughs> if, if if the if this guy uh, if if Max DiCarlo is he's uh, like of a similar ilk where he just makes a bunch of music. And then just like, do you like this template for one, two, or three? And then they pick the one like, well, here's the score that goes for that. Because he just knows no, this is the tone, he, and then this is how it's going to sound. He goes at it from every different angle. I mean, he's right now he's working on a tentpole movie that's like so high, highly restricted. I don't even know the name of the director. 
it's you know everything is hush hush but it's a massive movie and it's the director showed up on his doorstep one day from the uk unannounced and said max we have work to do (laughs) and he spent two (laughs) days with him and then flew back to the uk i mean it's the the guy is is just magical there's nothing that he can't come up with i'll give you an example uh we have a uh and and you'll see it later or you may have seen it already on the the clips that i sent but we have a logo an animated logo for the connecticut film and tv alliance and (laughs) i sent it to max at I guess it was 11 o'clock my time. I'm East Coast. He's West Coast. He was already asleep. Get up in the morning. He says, oh, I, I just got the uh, link. He said, I'll I'll get it back to you today. And I'm like, okay. You know, I, I told him, I said, look, just think 20th Century Fox or MGM. And what came back blew everybody away literally i mean you could see their hair blowing in the breeze Is it, really <laughs> oh my god you know and it was like in a morning he did it it was and it was perfect wow. so scary scary stuff it doesn't matter what i put in front of him there's, there's a song that you've got uh that i sent uh we learn mm. oh yeah that that came from me putting him together with Robin McCauley because I was Survivor. At, yeah, well, Survivor and Michael Shanker group. That's and, right. That's right. And, uh, Black Swan, and now he's working on his third album starting today with uh, Frontiers, uh, third solo album. He's, uh, you know, Max. Well. I, I was president of the Lions Club at the time to go back. Uh, and I wanted to create a self-funding endowment for the National you know, Alliance Club. And I told Max, I said, look, Max, would you create the perfect anthem, if you will, for Lions Club International? And, you know, give up some of your, your uh, royalties to the charity. And he said, sure, I'll, he said, I'll do that. He said, but who's going to write the lyrics and sing it? I said, I was thinking Andrea Bocelli. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and, 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 but, it, well, Max had, had done two uh, operas for Bocelli that he really liked. And... Pacelli's musical director decided that he wanted part of it. And so Max walked, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Anyway, we get back to that. So I called Pacelli's office. Pacelli was on tour and his wife tours with him. I couldn't wait to the end of the tour. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm friends with Robin. Let me give him a call. So I call him up and he says, sure, I'll do it. And uh, I called Max. I said, all right, Max, Robin McCauley's going to do it. He calls me back an hour later. He says, okay, I've listened to his music. I know what his range is. I know what his pitch is. Uh, 
I can send you the music. He sends me the music. I send it to Robin. Robin says, oh, my God, now I'm really worried. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, Robin comes back with the lyrics and the melody. And they got together in the studio. And it was, it, you know, the piece that I sent you was absolutely epic. Um, so then they liked working together so much. We now have a six-song EP that we did a world premiere on but we haven't done the full release on it because they haven't decided on the artwork. <laughs> Want me to make it for you? I do all the artwork for our, for our show. <laughs> I, we could talk to, to Robin and, and Max. I mean, they, I, it's hysterical. Of course, now everybody is off, off and running on the new year projects. So that's going to slow down everything else but you know i've still got that stuff going and i mean that generated me actually going to mohegan sun casino because we did the world premiere on wmos radio at mohegan sun and uh, i said okay i want them to do a co-promotion in the arena and nobody had answered my calls so i finally got really frustrated and i said damn it i'm gonna go and apply <laughs> And I applied and I ended up getting hired. So I worked with them for like nine months at the casino, having an absolute ball. It was absolutely terrific. Got to, you know, meet the president of uh, entertainment and sports there. And he and I had fist bump every time we'd pass in the hall. So it, it was kind of cool. And then they decided that I couldn't talk about music or, uh, music or TV or film. And I said, well, what am I going to talk about the weather? <laughs> That's the a weather very important. Yeah. The, the, the weather is a very important aspect of yes. uh, TV. I mean, isn't that the most watched aspect of news? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's very but, important. But when you're trying to, when you're trying to entertain guests in a casino, it's kind of a mild, bland, uh, ho-hum, you know. <laughs> Especially at a casino when, like, uh, don't they block out, like, what it looks like outside? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There no, well, there's well, no clocks. There's well, no that's nothing. why it's so important that you talk about the weather, because how else will they know? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Public service is They're going to need right? to know. Like, especially if they're down. Like, hey, cheer up, you know, in a clear blue skies. Once they throw you out after you've lost your shirt, you know, at least it'll be a nice, clear, sunny day. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you can gee, easily... thanks, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're competent enough. You can be a, a meteorologist, you know. You, I'm sure you can handle that. You seem like when you uh, you get a job that you're not necessarily ready for, you do whatever it takes to to figure it out just like you oh, did no, with scouting absolutely. film you know what i mean yeah yeah my old buddy is a <laughs> head meteorologist on one of the, the network stations in denver and he's you know i learned a lot from him and i said yeah no this is way way over my head it doesn't, too many clouds. it doesn't matter all you need to do is just you go to the 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 news station you say here's some max to carlo music and like hey do you want to be our weatherman i mean that's what i've picked up <laughs> absolutely well, hey, I, I can always try it you know <laughs> it's worked so far yeah yeah right you don't I, I, you don't even have to be right about the weather you know 
the, the those weathermen. I think that's still a thing, even though we're like, you, it literally tells you like what's going to happen next year. No, just like, just check your phone. Like you can yeah, just check. Right. Like you can be alive and just like hold on. Let me look at my iPhone. Yeah, so it's so like it's, tomorrow. It's gonna. I don't know. Whatever. Just check your phone, people. The weather cares. outside is weather. Yeah, here's no, some it's sad. Here's, you know, you, you look out the window, and you know it's much more accurate than when you're hearing on the, your weather reports, right? <laughs> Well, do, do, do people, how many people like watch the weather? I mean, I used to watch it all the time when I was young, like around like, you know, and around the winter because I wanted to know, like, will it be a snow day? Will school be canceled? Like I, I genuinely wanted to know, but now like I, I, I do constantly check the weather app on my phone. I do it multiple times a day because one, I forget. And uh, two, like, I, I really want to know what's coming in the coming weeks like that i will plan my week accordingly so oh, who, me too. yeah and, and who's watching the the weatherman when you have the weatherman on your phone and it's it's <laughs> satellite or whatever instead of you know some guy who doesn't even have max de carlo's music <laughs> on the ready I, why should i trust yeah, him I know. Yeah, life is bad already so uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, th- th- I mean that that's what I'm gonna do from now on. Like, if I'm at anywhere, I'm like, if they ask me for something, like, do you have Max DeCarlo's music? If they say no, I'm like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> you don't have what I need. <laughs> Not because I need the music, but I know that that's a person who's comes prepared. Oh my God! Yep. you have no idea. I mean, did, did you get a chance to read the uh, the notes that I sent you on Max's background? Yeah, I actually got it in front of me right now. I'll read a little bit about um, so some interesting yeah. facts about Max DiCarlo, born and raised in Rome, uh, composer, Mama conductor. <laughs> We're not doing the Italian bit right now. We are. <laughs> uh, composer, conductor, arranger, producer, multi-instrumentalist, uh, track engineer, mix engineer, mastering engineer. And that's just that's just number one out of out of 16. So he attended Santa Cecilia Conservatory, Rome, Italy, for 10 years, sat at the right hand of Ennio Morricone. Morricone. Fa- yeah, yeah. <laughs> The the father of modern spaghetti, film music. Spaghetti Western. Yeah, see, you know. <laughs> I know yeah. that. Do you not? I know it now. <laughs> he did the music for The Thing, and uh, what, what's the, the recent one? He did The Hateful Eight, in addition to all those Clint Eastwood movies. Oh, all right. Yep. Unfortunately, so, so. passed, but, the, you know. Recently? He, uh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, yeah. I, I saw The Hateful Eight when it came out, and I saw that he did the music. I had no idea he was still alive, and I think he won an Academy Award for that movie. I think he might have. He's he's considered the father of modern film music. Yeah, well, so many. Wow. I, I mean, Metallica, um, their intro music for concerts they play is, I think it's Ecstasy of Gold from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm-hmm. It was for a long time. I don't know if they still do it, but it, it was for a long time. Wow. wow. And so the the protege of that is, uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, it sat at his, the right hand. I mean, that's who essentially mentored him and groomed him, so to speak, I, I guess. Showed, it, showed him the biz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And then it, you had already said, Ed, you know, he's created um, over 10,400 compositions to date. 
works with live orchestra frequently, um, Budapest Symphony, Prague Symphony, BBC London Symphony. And this is good. This is actually really cool. Collaborated with Elton John on two albums, also with Donna Summer and Olivia Newton-John. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, produced numerous Latin artists, including Shakira and Ricky Martin. All went multi-platinum, selling over 130 million albums. Recently finished one Italian film, uh, Marco Spagnoli's Sofia. One UK film, two US films. One has been sold to Sabin for world distribution and six one hour episodes for UK TV. He is currently working on eight films in the UK and three films in the US. Uh, I'm going to struggle with this word. Since he's, he's uh, not a good reader, since uh, sin, <laughs> uh, Sita, oh, that's not even close. As, uh, how do you, okay. <laughs> what was it, Ed? Cinecita. Oh, there it is. Cinecita Hollywood, a documentary scored by Max, has just uh, been released in Italy. We're, we're about halfway there, folks. Produced a new <laughs> singer, songwriter, guitarist, Dirt Miller. Uh, result is uh, Dirt, Dirt Miller Man. signed to <laughs> Dirt Miller signed to WME, and will be supporting. Uh, will be supporting act on a major world tour. Uh, Max has uh, collaborated on some new songs with singer Robin McCauley of Survivor, uh, Michael Schenker Group, McCauley Schenker Group, Black Swan, solo album, co-star of Raiding the Rock Vault Show in Las Vegas, sought after by music supervisors, was just interviewed for a second time by Music Connection magazine for the April 2022 issue, created a Broadway musical we are now speaking with, or that is you guys are now speaking with producers about uh, composes 10 hours per day, whether on gig or not. Max is now mixing all of his projects in Dolby Atmos Atmos C. Like I said, I cannot read for, for nothing. <laughs> Max won best score for a diversity short film at Cannes uh, 2023 for Dear Eleanor. And Max scored overnight the Connecticut Film and TV Alliance animated logo, as well as uh, Ed's and their promotional video for the Connecticut legislature. He did this as a donation. All right. And there there's, I'm sure there's 13 or so more pages, but I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, straight to the facts, you know, though, no, that's, yeah, that's incredible. And how did you meet Max? Um, you know, um, to begin with, how, how was that first like conversation? Like, you know, I'm sure you guys hit it off. You seem like a very easy going guy you know I, i've said this before uh maybe not on air but whenever i talk to you ed i'm always in a better mood afterwards it's like you're one of those guys selfishly i, sh- I call you and you know i just feel better afterwards so i do appreciate you as a human being so you well, i enjoy talking to you too so oh, you know <laughs> the, the the way i met max was really funny I, he put a piece of his music up on linkedin and I kind of haunt okay. LinkedIn and IMDB Pro. That's, you know, my zone. And so when I saw it, I commented on it. I thought it was amazing. And he answered back, thank you very much. And, you know, so I called him. And, oh, no, let's, what did I do? I guess I asked him to call me. And next thing you know, we were talking. So we spent two days talking and he said, you know, he said, I've never had an agent or a manager because I never found anybody I like that or could trust. 
He said, I think we can work together. And we basically started there. And he and I have never met face to face in person. We've, you know, we've FaceTimed a few times, but generally we just talk on the phone all the time. We've gotten to be very good friends and he trusts me and I trust him and we're moving it forward. Wow. Yeah. We, um, we did just release or, or, uh, create a patreon and on our last we have two episodes out and on the last episode we were talking about you know in this this digital age we're living in you know there it's hard to to get that trust with people because all business is is the the backbone of business is, is trust right like you got to trust someone look someone in the eye usually when you're face to face you shake someone's hand you know it's like i, I i'm not gonna screw you over like that's what that right. that handshake that's means exactly right? right and so yep. it, it is amazing that you guys are able to to trust each other digitally um and are there plans to meet at some point in, in person not like it necessarily matters but i'm sure you guys would love to, to oh, hang out maybe uh, Maybe yeah, I would love to hang with him, and you know. But uh, since since I've managed him, he's he's lived in three places. The first place oh, wow. there are fires coming at, at his place in Calabasas, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden uh, he moved to Studio City, and that was great. That was safe until they had the huge rainstorm, and then the pipes <laughs> burst underneath, and he yeah. got flooded out. So now he's in Encino, and he just you know, it it's. <laughs> It's unbelievable that the changes that life has gone through in sure. the time I've known him. That, that's incredible. Wow. <laughs> he, he was, that, that's the weather. Moved, See, was, the weather's important. <laughs> right. He, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. New <laughs> gig for you. And, yeah. Right. He was up and running in his studio a day and a half after he got flooded out and had to move. <laughs> that's like, hey, unbelievable. You don't, the work doesn't stop because of the weather, right? Who cares? Yeah, you know? Totally. Oh, Nothing, cares, but, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, the mailman thinks he's unstoppable. <laughs> Max mailman. is way beyond it. You can send an email. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's really funny. You know, you know, and and Ed, I do really appreciate you know because, especially being our guest, like you have you know watched and listened to our episodes, and, and you called me about. Uh, I'd say like three weeks or so ago about he like, Hey yep. DJ, you know, uh, I listened to the metal podcast episode 25 part two of the Laurel Canyon oh, deep yeah. dive. And I'm like, Oh, yep. oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh no, he's going <laughs> to yell at me. <laughs> but you know, you, you were really kind and you do have a connection right to Atlantic records. Is that right? Yeah. I growing up in new Haven, um, I lived around the corner from this guy and he was a drummer and actually he had his start in drumming as the drummer for freddie paris and the five satins hmm. and and uh, actually i booked freddie and and he and i were real good friends he passed uh, about a year and a half ago hmm. but uh jerry was there and i booked jerry's band up at yukon for 150 dollars a night well, that was Jerry Green and the Passengers. He became the youngest president ever of a major label. At age 32, he took over as president of Atlantic Records with Led Zeppelin, The Stones, Aretha Franklin, um, Cheap Trick, uh, ABBA, uh, oh, ACD. Oh, ABBA. that's her. I mean, ABBA, great fan. <laughs> ABBA, yeah. ACD. 
Huh? AC DJ? AC DJ. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, looking at that logo. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so Jerry and I you know, go way, way. Oh, and when he left Atlantic, he was handpicked as the president of MJJ Music, Michael Jackson's label by Michael. Mm. And he was president of that until Michael's passing. Uh, so the guy has a, a, you know, storied history and he's coming out with a book and he asked me originally to, uh, kick off the book tour here in New Haven, but, uh, he, he may be doing another approach right now. We're waiting to see what the story is. And, um, any idea when the uh, book's going to come out? It should be out very shortly now that we're into the new year. Um, they were kind of dotting the I's and crossing the okay. T's, if you will. Yeah. And that was just on his years at Atlantic. There's that- another book coming after that on his years at Sony. 79 mm. years old? Huh? Is he, he's 79? Yeah. Oh, wow. And he's still going. Yes, Jerry is amazing. He's it's funny because he has a uh, a documentary that's being done on him, and he sent me a couple of the clips, and one of them was Mick Jagger saying that he had the best pair of ears in the world to spot a hit. <laughs> that that's not a bad recommendation. <laughs> no. Yeah, that that holds some weight. I'm I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, just you know, it's just amazing when people. I mean, to have a chance to have led Led Zeppelin. He, he told me a, this great story on his birthday one day. Zeppelin was playing um, Madison Square Garden, and they said, "Jer, what do you want for a birthday present?" He said. I want to play drums with Led Zeppelin on stage at Madison Square Garden in front of Bonzo. And they said, done. They brought out the congas <laughs> and they put him up in front of Zeppelin. And there he was. <laughs> Some birthday present. <laughs> uh, that's like, All I get for my birthday is yeah. socks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I'm kind of a jury, <laughs> but it's like, you know, Jerry is just a trip and a half. So, yeah, and then he's got a movie that he's uh, executive producing that he wanted me to write, raise some funds for. So I was working on that. And it, it, we're, we're just having fun. Yeah, it sounds like you are connected to some really um, not only important people, but very fascinating people that is i guess that's what 58 years in the business doing the right the right thing uh being a good person will will uh allow you to to meet i guess i guess is that the secret not not screwing anyone over i i just pinch myself every morning and say are you dreaming what's going on yeah i had no inkling that i would ever in my life be involved in film and because of max i'm like immersed in, um, the the Connecticut film industry is what we're in, involved in. Period, and it, there's no way I would have gotten there otherwise. 
Yeah. No, and, and it wasn't you know, anything I was even trying to get. To. <laughs> Felt it. That, that's funny. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, obviously, people think of Hollywood as the you know the you know the uh, movie whatever um, you know capital. But now it seems I mean, it like is. Atlanta. It, has, it is. Well, I think isn't Atlanta taken over? It, well, they're, well they're, at, they are slowly moving to Atlanta. It's cheaper. Okay. It, it, well, you know, it, it's interesting. That's what our alliance is all about. We are creating a, a whole new environment here in Connecticut. And we're involved with the major studios. We're involved with everybody. I mean, I, I manage a rock band out in LA second site, right? Yeah. Second oh, site. Yeah. And it's, it's unbelievable. These guys are all either current or retired major moguls in the film and TV industry. So my yeah, like Disney and legendary pictures, right? A few of them. Yep. Or, uh, is yep. that right? Yeah. I remember you yep. talking. Yep. And, uh, so, you know, and, and, uh, Warner Discovery and and Max too, not, not Max the composer, but Max the business. So <laughs> like HBO Max, yeah. Okay, okay, yep, yeah. That that's my keyboardist. He's like unbelievable. So all these people just kind of come together, and, and it's just a huge, huge network. It's great. No, that's that's amazing, and I think you had said that you know maybe the uh, some people don't realize that Connecticut is ready for major films, right? That some people think, oh, they don't have the resources, but you guys are are ready to rock and roll, so to speak, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are at a point now where we have proven to the studios that we are the boutique state to go to, and we're in the process of building sound stages. Mm. So it's, yeah, we, everybody is ready and perched to go right now. What we're known at is, is the Christmas movie state. <laughs> they've, done, they've done about a hundred Christmas movies. Um, and, and that outfit that does it, uh, they've done an amazing job with it. You know, the, all the Hallmark movies and, and what have you, but, uh, we we want to go beyond that because there are a lot of people in Connecticut that are incredibly talented that have to go elsewhere to work, and we're changing that drastically. I just yeah. had a film where I was doing locations, and originally it was supposed to be Connecticut. Then they moved it to Jersey. Then they moved it to Arkansas, and then they said, "Yeah, you know what." best deal is let's go back to connecticut and we finished there so it's yeah i brought one director i was given the opportunity to talk to him and convince him the guy was in uh california in la and i was given 20 minutes on the phone with him to explain to him why he should shoot in connecticut and he was all excited and he's after 20 minutes he says yeah let's do this in Connecticut. Okay. Then his entire team said, no, we're not leaving LA. And <laughs> stars said they wouldn't leave LA. So it's like, okay, <laughs> can't do it. Well, about 
oh, maybe a month later, I get a call from the producer. He says, Ed, he said, we've got another film that's scheduled for Connecticut and the same director is doing it. And he just said, I want to shoot it in Connecticut. I said, yes. <laughs> and so that when we ended up shooting, that was with, uh, God, let's see, we had John Cusack, Mira Sorvino, Brianna Hildebrand. It, it was a really good cast. And that's in post-production now. Oh, wow. So that's coming out. Yeah. That's, wow. I, I can't wait. That was we had so much fun on that. I actually ended up in the hospital for two days on that one. Yeah, <laughs> you had too much fun. <laughs> I had too much fun. Oh, goodness. I, we, we were we were like going crazy and of course I was location managing and you you're your first man in, last man out, and I was an hour away on my commute. So I was getting three hours sleep a night and then mm. having four days in a row. So oh. next thing you know, the the uh, PA was going by and he's carrying a chair and he grabs my arm and slams me into the chair. I said, what? He said, you were going down. I said, was what? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Get this guy an IV. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, they were trying to hydrate me the whole bit. And oh yeah. Nothing was happening. So they drove me home and I, I my, my landlady is a nurse and she said, we're going to the emergency room. I said, why? She said, I don't like your color. So what would my color? You look like right. a Simpsons character. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they got me at the hospital and said, yeah, you're staying here for a while. <laughs> oh, goodness. Have you ever seen Creep Show 2? No. So Creep, Creep Show 2 is not a very good movie. Creep Show is, is fun, but the opening scene is is shot in new england i don't know what part of it but new england in general has a very nice look as far as the the towns and the neighborhoods go and then that's something yep. that that you really can't replicate it without making it look like an obvious uh back lot right so there there's a lot of I've, I've, I've been to new england it, it is a really nice looking place and uh, hollywood is or Los Angeles, I guess it's, it's really, it's so obviously Los Angeles. Have you seen, uh, Halloween? No, I, I, I didn't go to a lot of movies, which was hysterical. Oh, okay. Well, that, I, that movie takes place in Illinois, but it's, yeah. but there's palm trees in it because it's <laughs> shot in Los Angeles. <laughs> Yeah, and and like yeah, and 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 there's a there's a scene where like there's the kids at school, and and the thing is for for anyone who's never like lived in Southern California, the the schools have a lot of outdoor stuff because you know it's it's constantly nice, but in you know suburban Illinois, everything's going to be closed off because it the the weather is is pretty harsh, so they just have all these outdoor facilities and it, it that stuff stands out but it, you can get away with that in new england like you can make new england look like most any part of the country with the exception of maybe like why alaska <laughs> or the the palm trees aspect of you're, southern you're california exactly right. i mean 
I, I sell it based on the fact that we can offer anything but desert. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're right on Long Island Sound, or if you go all the way out, we're out, uh, you know, nearby, <laughs> near Rhode Island, we're out at the ocean. So you, uh, all kinds of fun stuff that you can do there. As a matter of fact, the, the, uh, the Fog of War, the one that I did with uh, John Cusack, that one called for a, a ship that was two-masted, that looked like it was capable of escaping to sea. And we were scheduled to shoot it May 11th. And it turns out, which nobody realized, the boating season in Connecticut starts May 15th. So all the boats, and it had to be a wood boat because of the Second World War, so all the boats were out of the water and wrapped. <laughs> and it's like, mm -hmm. I when I was in the hospital, I spent all the time calling, trying to find a boat. And it I went through about 200 calls because everybody said, yeah, no, my boat's out of the water. Try this guy, try this guy, and try this guy. It, it was like endless. And day and a half before the shoot, I finally found the right boat. But, we, you know, we can find anything in Connecticut. It's really insane. Wow. That's... Well, and, and things That's... like that stand out to, to an audience. It, oh, know, absolutely. Uh, if you, if you, if, and I think that's probably why they, they make all those Christmas movies there because you, you have these nice small town looks and it, it creates a, a feeling of, of comfort. Yep. Like, right. uh, ver versus like, if you show something like, like the crowded, dirty New York City, or or like downtown Los Angeles, or you just feel like anxiety. Like yeah, I don't care if these vibe. two people get together. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the ambience of you know your location has everything to do with what comes across and, and, and continuity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't live in one place. So you're going to have a lot of people from all over w watching something and they, they have to believe that where the place is, is supposed to be that. And right. it's suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Which and, is what all, you know, art is really based on. Yeah. I try to do it. I'd say, <laughs> but how, how many movies set in New York are filmed in Vancouver, Canada? It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's gotta be most of them. Yeah. You know, it's super expensive to shoot in New York city. I yeah. Mean, and all, all you need is some dirty alleys. Like you can get that anywhere. <laughs> you don't need New right. York city for that. Come on. I mean, you, what you do is you, you get an alley, get some dry ice or some steam. You throw some <laughs> you know, heroin needles on the ground, some crack pipes. There you go. Boom, you're, you're, you're in New York. Who? Yeah. Who can tell <laughs> the difference? No, 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 you, no. You can definitely replicate it. I, you know, every now and then oh, I'll get gosh. something like they, they wanted the one shot on the Champs-Élysées in in Paris and it was it, they weren't just like you know shots of the area but it was supposed to be with the lead and with dialogue and everything I, I said okay that I can't give you in Connecticut I couldn't even give you that in Vegas I mean we have the Paris Hotel in Vegas but it, it, you got to go to the Champs-Élysées if you're going to do that <laughs> 
So they end up doing that. It's like, you know, three days they shot in, in, uh, in Paris, Mm. but, um, the rest of it, they, you know, shot back here. So. No, Ed, um, when you're either scouting for movies or just working on movies in general, do you have to keep in mind like the intended audience? Does that matter that much? Or are you, do you have to deal with that at all? No, that's that's the director's issue. My okay. issue is to fulfill the director's vision. Okay, okay, it, I like that. It, it's I, I'm given a script, and then I just kind of read through it, and then I try and get a lookbook from the director that you know kind of gives his conception of what this is going to look like. And then just kind of put that together in my mind and come up with the solution to it. And the magic is if you can create what the director sees in his mind's eye to the point where he looks at it and goes, oh, my God, this is just what I was thinking of. That's the magic. Okay. And the, yeah. The, the, every, it's the director's movie. You know, everything mm-hmm. serves the director's vision. Okay. Yeah, there was uh, the reason I ask and the first time I kind of thought of this like like what is the intended audience is I I really like this series called Counterpart. Have either of you guys seen it? It's with JK Simmons. Uh-uh. But it, it's it's fascinating. It's like, you know, Is that the like, person like, that wrote Harry Potter? No, that's JK Rowling. Oh, JK okay. Simmons is is the yellow peanut M&M. Oh yeah, him. Yeah, of course I know. <laughs> or or from Spider Man as <laughs> the in charge of the, the the newspaper or whatever with the uh, Toby Maguire series. But anyways, it was a really great series, but they canceled it because they said that well, we went into a direction of like wanting to get like more female driven, but we have a male audience, so like oh, we canceled it. I'm like. I just it upset me over that, that because I thought that was so stupid because it was a great series, but they just I don't know what the deal was that they marketed it wrong or they tried to make it more female driven and it was for like my male audience, which I mean it was fine the way it was, but it just just so I was wondering too if like you you um I guess you you try to fulfill the director's vision but is there any times you have to tell the director like hey like you might not want a, a sailboat here you might want like a yacht or something i don't know <laughs> well i would never tell him that i mean if I, if i saw that and i thought it matched what he was describing i you know i might put that out as an alternative okay but i i never try and go and it i i'm not the creator <laughs> it's it's his movie. It, you you never want to get into a manipulative situation because if you're not all rowing in the same direction, you're not going to get a great product. And you know when when you start saying no, this this doesn't go to that market or this market, or, it's mm-hmm. like it, just make a great film or yeah. a great TV show. Let exactly. that take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the problem with that series that they literally canceled it because they tried getting you know fancy with it and trying to sell more, co- whatever whatever you would 
call it. But it's it's the tail wagging the dog. It it just doesn't make any sense. It's mm -hmm. you know just do what you do best. And the teams, I mean, what I've found in Connecticut on on in in this industry, we got some of the most talented people in the world, literally. I mean, I've I've got a guy on my uh, education committee with me who's also on our board. And the guy is a, a director of photography. Well, mm -hmm. he's he was the DP for Robin Williams on World's Greatest Dad. Oh wow! I, and and he's off on you know a major uh, shoot now as a DP, but he just finished a uh, documentary of his own. He was touring the United States for nine months on what it means to be an American and just a magnificent thing. We had a party at his house, oh, I guess about three weeks ago. And he said, everybody bring your reels because everybody's in the business. And they brought him in. It became a mini film festival and everybody introduced their reel, played their reel. And then we had the Q and a after each one. It was a great time. Wow. And I mean, these people are like all so creative and so cooperative. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're just doing all kinds of stuff here. I mean, we, we saved the film tax credit this year. And that was when we got into the legislature, we've got two lobbyists. When mm -hmm. we got into the legislature, there was a bill in the finance committee to, to do away with the tax credit. And we said, no, 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 you can't do that. And now we've got the legislature on our side. and We're starting to educate them on exactly what the waterfall is of the money uh, that comes in when, a, you know, any production comes to the state. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I am I'm curious about your thoughts, too, with uh, how you think like AI is actually going to but whether it already is in place or how it will affect the movies. Uh, Cause I mean, we, we obviously have talked about it with music. And oh, that, you know, if anybody <laughs> thinks that screenwriters are not using AI to write movies, you're insane. I, I I'm just going to, I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> and like there, there will, I'm sure there's movies that have come out where it was clearly Chad GPT either wrote the story or, wrote like the foundation for it. And then you just have some writers like punch up some dialogue here and there. And they say, no, we didn't. You're they're lying. I, I there's no reason to believe that like, like you are, you are crazy. Like there, there are, I, I, there are movies out now. Like, do you know how many movies come out a year that no one's ever heard of? that that never see the light of day yes. well not just that no they go to like tubi or stuff like that like all these streaming services that are free because like, all, all you need is a da vinci an iphone <laughs> and like you and that's that's all you need and, and then you can make a movie so now you just have someone that doesn't know how to write a movie chat gpt write me a, a 90 page screenplay about something <laughs> the way that quentin tarantino would right and, and now it's full of pop culture references and hip cool characters and and flashy dialogue and then you have someone who doesn't know anything about screenwriting 
and they they look at it and they go, yeah, this sound this looks good, and boom, you, they don't they can't tell the difference because I, I guarantee you anybody that's a lot of people have thought like I should write a movie, I have good ideas, but if you've ever looked at a screenplay, it's not like a book, like it's it's written in a very specific way, and, correct, and. and if if you have like chat GPT, like write me a screenplay, it'll look like that, like interior night. Like it'll, and then someone will look at that and say, Oh, wow, look how professional this looks. Let's make a movie like this. There you go. And then now you have just some amateur piece of crap movie. And then you, and you combine that with someone who does know how to do things. Now you just have a, a 90 page, like sloppy mess that, but all it takes is you hire some some ghostwriter to come in. It's like, okay, clean this up, uh, uh, change this dialogue, and there you've just turned like something AI generated into something filmable. Yeah, there, no, there's there's no reason. There's no reason now. You you like you just you think of it like from a money standpoint. If you want to go with that angle, any executive. You just, you go to the producer, Hey, have AI make this script. And then you just have a ghostwriter. Hey, Hey, we have this script. Uh, tell us what you think. Like, please polish it up. And then instead of paying a writer, like 200, 300,000, uh, maybe 1 million, 5 million, you, you just, you give them, you know, the bare minimum in like the industry minimum, uh, I don't know, not writers, actors, or write, writers guild. About. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, yeah, I but I, I have no reason to. Well, uh, was I have no reason to believe that they'll honor that. Like, how how do you know? Yeah. Like now, so now, uh, um, who's the guy? Uh, Silver, who who the guy? He did like Die Hard and Predator and Lethal oh, Weapon. Yeah. He's like he's like yeah. the eight the '80s action guys. Joel Silver, Joel Silver. I think it's Joel Silver. I think yeah, that's his maybe name. right. Yeah. Oh, you have you can have Joel Silver or um, oh, who I don't know. I don't know producers, but I'm sure that uh, um, Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. So all of a sudden, now they're writing stories, and how right. do you know it's not AI generated? You don't know. And and if you have these writers, like I'm going on strike unless you do this, they don't they don't have to hire those writers. Jerry Bruckheimer can join the writers guild and, and then right. boom, now he's a screenwriter. Cause he had AI do it. Cause all, all they need to do is like, I want to, I want to make a movie about uh, a guy who's trying to, to save um, a dog in a burning building uh, while the terrorists attack it. And his wife is going into labor there. AI write that movie. Okay, they wrote it, and then now, like, hey, um, uh, screenwriter who's been around forever, um, whatever, pick a guy, uh, like someone who's not like a big Spielberg. Well, sure, Steven, yeah, Steven Spielberg, yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure, and Steven Spielberg's a producer too. I'm sure he'd have no problem going along with this with this con. Yeah, yeah, here you just change this. You know, do the there. I've structured your story now. Now you have a a, a filmable screenplay. There's no reason now, I, to I, think that that they'll be honest about that. Yeah, no, you're right. But I, I think what is going to happen at this point is that there's going to be kind of a blend 
and what you're going to end up seeing is they'll find a way to use it as a tool without having it take over. And and that's going to be the struggle because there's no controlling AI. AI, <laughs> AI controls itself at this point. It's learning from humanity and just well, the nonstop. People pro- the people that program everything. it. Right. But, mm-hmm. well, the, the reality is that the people that program it are just expanding the horizons, but the people that are using it are, you know, just taking whatever is developed at that point. And it's just a constant ebb and flow. So I, I've got like one director that I manage He's a DGA director. And as a matter of fact, I, I sent you the, the clip on the repo else. Oh yes, and yeah. uh, there's some there's some AI in that, and uh, he he's just he's a young director and he's he's amazing. He's got like three films right now that we're working with, and uh, I put him together with Max, and they're just an amazing team. So Ray Griggs and Max, just outrageous. Those uh, podcasts are uh, they drop every other Tuesday and just great adventures. And if you listen to the thing, I mean, it's, it's entertaining as all get out, but he's, he's got like major, major screenplays. You know, we're, we're talking, you know, $150 million range, $65 million range and $5 million range. So, well, it's probably harder for AI to make those really bigger budget ones but well but the, i i think that's a that's a question of time i mean well sure for when, we're talking mm-hmm. we're talking right now though uh, eventually yeah. there's there who knows what technology can can do in the future like who 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 knows like because uh, ai's it got really good like it, it started off like mm-hmm. wow look at this and and then now like a, ai <laughs> right can do some pretty impressive things. Yeah. It's but, doing more than uh, rap songs from, from Abraham Lincoln or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know? yeah, it's doing oh. that now. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the AI voice things, like you can probably oh, yeah, have exactly. AI just do, uh, the metal podcast. Like you prob- yeah. probably, yeah. probably get to that point, but although there's, there's a, like a, a set of movies where it's, it's done by a studio called a 24. And uh-huh. they, all the trailers look exactly the same. And they're always like really like critically acclaimed. Like, I think they did like the whale that Brendan Fraser movie. Oh yeah. Like they, they, they always do these, like these small, uh, I don't want to keep saying indie, but they, they are independent, but they're these, these small, like minimal location, minimal actors, like really, really small productions that are just character pieces. You can have AI do all of that because it it only requires a few locations. Oh, you know what movie was actually pretty good? I have I haven't seen it since it came but, out because I don't, I don't really watch movies anymore. But the the Steve Jobs movie, did you see that? The one with um the guy from um, uh, yeah, that guy, yeah, 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 that, that one, yeah, he plays Steve Jobs. It's it's three scenes of him talking to one person walking down a hallway 
And it's like it's like the premiere for like I don't know the Apple II or the or the I can't remember maybe the Macintosh. Uh, then it's like something else, and then it was the iMac, and it was just like him walking down a hall talking. It was like all oh, basically yeah. three segments. Yeah, like an AI could do that. It's it, no problem. Now it might be a little different to to like maybe you have a like an ensemble piece. Like, like, uh, like the Royal Tannenbaums where there's a lot of characters and you got to juggle that and get all their development and get, get the people invest in all of them. That's probably too hard for AI to do now. But like when you, you said earlier, the blend, that's what I think they're going to do. They just have the AI have the, basically the framework. And then someone comes in to just to, to humanize it, to kind of clean it up, to make it seem like it was actually made by people no, I, I think it's going to go the other way i think the framework is you know what's going to be human and use the tools to clean up afterwards I, it, it's possible but i yeah I, I think you're gonna have your your jerry bruckheimer or your joel S- silver types so like i want to make a movie like this and then the ai will will just spit out a, a script for it and then they'll just hire some some up and coming hot screenwriter, and then they're and then they're just gonna fill in the gaps, because I think it's easier to take a story and clean it up than to create the story and have a robot clean it up. Hmm. Uh, I hear you. Well, it, it's interesting. One of my one of my artists, Marston Smith, Lord of the Cello. <laughs> uh that this guy's interesting as anything he he just sold his house this past year to uh kevin hart in uh, <laughs> no way <laughs> yeah in malibu and he moved to connecticut and uh i met him because the president of our alliance directed him ages ago and the guy sag after it the whole bit and he's uh God, he played for Liz Taylor's wedding at Neverland Ranch. He's played for Clinton, Schwarzenegger, just about every corporate gig you can imagine. Wow. Uh, he's, uh, God, he's he's been on over 100 movies. He's He started out as a science officer on Star Trek, playing the cello in a, a string quartet on Star Trek. And... The guy has just done everything. Well, he's heavily into AI. And, you know, I've been seeing some of the stuff that he's putting together for a live show. It's absolutely incredible. And he's working with uh, this guy, Steve Johnson, who I also manage, who's a a bass player. And he's, you know, played with everybody and done everything. And so they've been collaborating and, uh, the stuff they're coming up with is scary good. Sure. So it, it, there's some creativity going on with artwork in relation to that, just from a description of what the show is. And all of a sudden this artwork gets created and it, my mind's getting blown. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's great. I mean, you know, Marston is the type of guy, he comes out, he's got three sets of wings, he's got 12 suits of armor, 
He's got. Oh, okay, uh, you sent that over. Yeah. 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 I watched that one. That was that was very interesting. <laughs> he's, he, a, he's, he's a showman. He is a showman. Yeah, he looks. He looks like a Viking on stage. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And oh yeah. We're we're doing a recording session this Friday with him, and uh, there's a woman that I ran into who turned out to be one of the top classical harpists in the world, and she lives down the street from me. So we're going over there to do a session and I'll, you know, record that. It, just fun, fun stuff. Yeah. Now, Ed, you mentioned the harp. Is it true that you could tame, you know, beasts by playing the harp? <laughs> I, I'll i tell you, it, it's pretty amazing when, when you see she's got like three harps and one of them was made in France custom. It's one of a kind. It's like just beautiful. And she started playing that. I was over there on for a Christmas party. And I, it, I mean, you get chills. It, it's oh, just oh, yeah. No, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> and, and she plays like so amazing. I tried to get it on video that night. And for whatever reason, it didn't record. But I, I could not track her finger work. I'm like watching it. I'm like, this oh, is yeah, that would, yeah, that's mind blowing. But wow. yeah, she's she's a Juilliard graduate. She's okay. like uh, just amazing. She's been on everything. She, I guess she's one of the top uh, Sony artists for harp worldwide. Wow. You know, it's a uh, back to kind of like a little bit of the AI. I, I recently saw an artist he, he like does like album covers for bands and he was complaining on one of the social medias and i couldn't help myself but respond but he was saying something like oh like i don't know like something about you don't get paid because the ai is taking his job and i'm like hey the solution is really simple just make better art than the ai Thank and you. and and if you don't want to do that then you need to remember why your customers purchase your art for for their album covers in the first place and that's to attract more fans so if you can't make better art there's an actual there's another part to it start networking and and make sure that you use your human element that the ai can't use to network for you to guarantee that this band gets more followers like i'm like it's not something to complain or cry about and you know sometimes the best love is tough love but like seriously like you're like almost 50 years old and you're complaining about this it drives me nuts like just make better art you know honestly right. like it's not that hard uh, or, or or make better <laughs> friendships that the, too. the, the, the thing that. the thing is pe- people will buy from you because it's you and the thing yeah. is if they don't like you they won't buy from you like if if mm-hmm. you if you make amazing art but you're a prick no one's going to want to buy from you because they'll, they'll take a, a step down for someone nicer. Mm-hmm. So if you're just, if you're complaining, the, the, the AI is doing a better job than me. Well, okay. Well, you know what you can offer that an AI can't, you can offer like revisions. You can offer a, a, a some kind of deal where you will work with them to their specificities. Like if, if you like do AI make a dog with the top hat, 
uh, riding in a Corvette on the moon, like they'll make that. <laughs> but if it's not exactly how you want it and you say redo, it's going to give you a different oh, yeah. piece of art uh, where, where you can say, well, here I can, I can change the angle. Like I can, I can do this and that, whatever. I can make it exactly to your specifications. Hey, like, what would you like? I'll do it. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll work with you. And then people go, wow, what a cool guy. Like, oh, he's. Mm-hmm. He's given me good services. And this goes back to the, the business being, you know, the, the handshake and look, look yeah. in the eyes. The, the AI will never really replace the human element. And this is kind of an awkward thing where there, there's this kind of like AI, like girlfriend simulator that, mm. that, that is happening to a, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of very lonely people. And I, oh, I do, I, I do understand where they're coming from because like, there are a lot of people that suffer from pornography addiction, but the thing yeah. is with that is the, the, the computer doesn't love you back. So they tried to have an AI that just like, Oh, hi DJ. How was your day? Oh, tell me about it. Was Frank giving you a hard time again? Oh, Oh, were you talking to Ed on the phone again? Oh, that's so cool. And then that makes people <laughs> feel good, but they're, there is an actual human element where you can actually meet someone and look at them and, and you can talk to them and see their, see their face and, and, you know, you can share emotions and that creates a stronger connection than AI ever could. AI mm-hmm. is a, is a, it's a tool. Yeah. It is. Right. It's, and it, it's not to be used as a crutch and there are going to be people that will inevitably do that. But I, I think of this like. Remember when it, it first was a, a scandal that people were downloading movies and music from the internet? Yeah. But, but the, the thing <laughs> is, a lot of the people that were doing that, well, there, there's two sides to it. They weren't hearing that music or watching that movie anyway. So that was their exposure to it. And, and through that, a lot of people that heard the, those, those musicians well, they started becoming fans of that and they started attending live performances. They started buying the merchandise. Then they started buying physical releases. Cause I, I knew a guy, he would just, he downloaded so much music, <laughs> but he would go out and buy the vinyl if he liked it. Cause he didn't, he didn't right. like CDs, but he liked vinyl. So he would download it and he would have the MP3s so he could listen to it on his computer or in his car. But if you want, like, if he wanted to listen to music, like I'm in the mood for music, he would go buy a vinyl record and he would put that on. So there, so the, the people that are, are using the AI as a crutch, well, they weren't going to buy that guy's art anyway. So this guy is just being a Debbie Downer because ha- like, it, un- unless for some reason, everyone who was buying this guy's art just said to him, no, thanks. I'm going to use AI now, which I would be very surprised because I think a lot of people do like to do the, you know, uh, show support with your wallet. I think a lot of people do like buying goods from people. They like, right. and, and some people will, they'll pay the extra couple of bucks to buy brick and mortar instead of buying from Amazon because they do like the human element. They like the customer service. So mm-hmm. there, there are pros and cons, but a lot of the cons don't really affect a lot of people. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've got a friend who is, you talk about album artists. Have you ever heard of uh, Johannes dangerous age? No. Uh, no. Uh, what was he, it again? 
Johannes, I-O-A-N-N-I-S, Johannes Dangerous Age, which is a name that he adopted. Uh, he's uh, amazing. He, he did free artwork for me when he was in high school for a band that I managed back in 19, uh, late 1960s. And next thing you know, he became like probably one of the biggest album art artists in the world. He's done over 400 album covers. He did all the stuff for Allman Brothers, for Uriah Heep, for Deep Purple. For He's done just about everybody. And uh, he went to a book signing with Roger Dean, who was his idol. He goes in there and he says, I want you to sign my book. And he says, who should I make it out to? He says, Johannes. He says, wait, Johannes Dangerous Things? He says, yeah. He says, I have your book. I want you to sign that. <laughs> <laughs> when you, you know you've arrived when your idol asks for your autograph. So it's like, you know, his stuff is going, I believe his originals now are going for $50,000. Jeez. And and the signed prints are going for somewhere around two or three thousand dollars. It's it's unbelievable. So you know he doesn't get replaced by AI. You look at no. some of his artwork, and it's just you know it is so yeah. intricate and so bright. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I pulled him up right now. I'm looking at his the, the stuff he's done for heavy metal, and it's it's the magazine. <laughs> Uh, heavy metal no, just, just a genre. He has genres like classic rock, heavy metal. And oh, I see. It's I see. A progressive jam okay. band. Okay. I, yeah. I, I was thinking that there was the magazine heavy metal and then there was that movie in the eighties. Oh, yeah. 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 No, he, he is an absolute. Did something for genius. Led Zeppelin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's on this. <laughs> no, Giannis yeah. is, is absolutely a master. He, he was picked up by the largest, um, what is it, the, the the art gallery and and outfit in England for worldwide for album covers, and so his work was going for around twenty five thousand. Now it's going for fifty. That's good money. Yeah, that, that's not bad. And oh, but I better not be an artist because there's AI that's just gonna make better art than me. Like, no, like <laughs> if this guy's making fifty thousand a piece, and yeah. then yeah, the, AI has come a long way, and AI can do some impressive stuff. But if you are at the top of your game, mm-hmm. uh, you can stay there. Like AI can only go so far. There is there is a lot of the AI. It does like toes and fingers wrong. It it does a lot of things. It does mess a lot of things up. It, it, if there's too many things going on, it, it messes up faces. You will always beat that as a human. Like you won't accidentally make someone's face look like a butt, which has happened in a picture before. You like you can get around that. Yeah. You you won't show the person with six fingers. Where right. It's, 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 it's a pretty simple, but if your art is subpar, well, you were only niche 
to begin with, where you were just getting by, by just helping your friends out. And then they were giving you a couple of bucks just because that's it. Right. So you can always improve. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're, we're never going to get rid of AI. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tooth. The, well, not with know. that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, it, it's just, it's out there. It, it's creating yep. itself. Yep. That's, uh, that's the problem. Yep. So there were, I've heard comments. Well, ultimately in the development of AI, the machines are going to decide we're wasting all these atoms on humans and they are the problem and they're the reason the world is falling apart. So let's just disintegrate the humans, use the atoms for something. More wasn't, there a, wasn't there a movie made about that? <laughs> Was it I don't the, know. the Terminator? No, ter- Terminator, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be our John Connor? <laughs> right. The, the, one, the, one, the one person who's known to stay away from all of this? Yeah. <laughs> One person who doesn't have an iPhone or or something. Yeah, so, some guy, some guy who's still got a, like a, a Motorola Razor from like two thousand five. It's you know it, it's all around it, and you know there are things that it's great for. I mean, my one of my sons is uh, the manager of customer success for Noteworthy AI, which is an amazing company that they developed the whole thing to use AI to maintain and evaluate the entire electrical infrastructure. So, you know, it goes by a telephone pole and the the system is sitting on just one of the vehicles for the electric company. And as it goes by, it geolocates the pole. It takes a picture of it. It evaluates everything that's going on with it, puts it into the database, and away you go. And you never have to stop. You never have to climb a ladder. You never have to get in the bucket, anything. Um, It's amazing. It's saving a fortune for the industry. And it's, uh, it's being picked up by just about everybody. So there are some good uses for AI that aren't creativity, you know, questions. Right. Well, the, the, the most interesting thing about AI is that it can replicate simple things. Right. That, see, that's the best thing. And the, the best thing that I see about AI is like we talked about recently, this Drake song that AI generated that, that they wanted submitted to the, to the, the Grammys. Grammys. <laughs> and I do see AI as replacing all these terrible pop artists because the, the lyrics are completely hollow. Mm -hmm. The, the, the (laughs) the singing is all improved by digital effects. Correct. And all, all the music is, is digitally created. So there, there's, there's no need to even have these people anymore and they're high maintenance and their, their concerts are expensive. People used to go to concerts because there was a, a more like cozy, quaint thing about it. You know, not necessarily like you go there and it's like, you know, your Christmas party or something, but now right. it's like these large extravagant productions. You're spending $500, you're nowhere close to the artists, you know, they, they will never come out and meet you. 
No, some of them do, but we're talking about the big pop artists. Like they, they are openly hostile towards their fans. <laughs> but if, if you put a screen out with like a digital face and you just took the number one pop song, people would go. Like, even if it's at, you know, if, at the Staples Center, you know, and yeah. it was, and it was, you know, $50 a, t- a ticket, like, oh my gosh, front row is $50. People would go and, and you don't have to pay anything. You just put a, a screen out, a projector, and then you essentially p- play MP3. That's it. Yeah. And people would go. So, because uh, we are, we are, we are winding down. We're getting, we're getting close to the end. And I got got some lyrics in front of you, Ed. That uh, I I I would argue that an AI could do a better job. I'd like you to for the people uh, read 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 this. Uh, this is a song called uh, "Brick in Yo Face" by the uh, an artist named Stitches. Now, before you go on, um, I'm I'm just gonna see how many views this has. So this song has. The official video has 32 million views on YouTube. So this isn't just, yeah. So this isn't exactly what, why, what world are we living in? Yeah. So this isn't something that I, I, I scowl, uh, you know, I, I scoured through the the darkest corners of the internet to find the stupidest thing possible. No, no, no. This is something popular. This is popular. It came in front of me. The kids are listening to. Yes. So, so go, go ahead and, and, uh, Late, late, spit some fire for the folks. <laughs> in in my my Dr. Seuss way. <laughs> do it, do it, no, 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 no. Do it, do it, in, do it in Civil War voice. <laughs> in what? Civil War voice. Civil. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I put that brick in your face. Say what? Now, what you going to do with it? Better have my money when I come to collect. Pay up, pay up, pay up. I put that brick in your face. Sweet. Say what? Now, what you going to do with it? Better have my money when I come to collect. Pay up, pay up, pay up. You better have my money when I come to collect. Pay up. There's a, the theme here. Um, I I got a bullet in the chamber and it's ready to eject. Pop pop pop. I, God, <laughs> yeah. You 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 ain't a man. Use a kid. Call it child neglect, little boy. If you want to shoot a fade, I'll leave your face leaking. Oh, hmm. good. Um, you better not tell the police I did it. Out in Dade County, anything goes. It, <laughs> <laughs> I think my head's going to explode. Yeah, well, it might. Well, keep going. Oh, we'll find out. <laughs> always at the scene with some blood on my clothes. Then I go sell coke to you. Oh, sorry if you didn't know that your girl loved my blow. One hit, now the girl on the pole. I love selling blow. <laughs> How many times does it say I love selling blow, by the way? Uh, it repeats it four times. Oh <laughs> it's, he really yeah, loves it. He loves it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, love affair is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> Give me a break. My God. Yeah, isn't that despicable? 
No, no, no. Hold on. There's more. Oh, there's. Oh, there is. Wait a minute. Isn't there? I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, there is. I'm sorry. There's a big space oh. in there. Yeah, yeah. Hook. More. I put that brick in your face. <laughs> Say what? Oh, he's hook is in parentheses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I put that brick in your face. Say what? Uh, so the same thing I've said before. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Verse two. You there said you need a hundred bricks. Well, I'm the connect. I got it. I make drug money fool. I don't need a rap check. Never. If I front you the brick, you better pay up. This is my lifestyle, fool. This ain't no threat. And we can bet on that. I got an AK-47 in my face, ho. Oh, on my face, ho. So you know I don't shoot no pistol. I dare you to come near my threshold. This gun will not reload. Because, bitch, I got extendos. <laughs> bitch, I got extendos. Don't play with me, boy. Don't play with me, boy. Go play your Nintendo. Sick. <laughs> uh, let's see. And now we're back to the hook. I put that oh. brick in your face. It's like, okay, regurgitate, regurgitate. Um, and that's it. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> It, it's a hit. It's, it's a hit. hit. It was a hit. 32 <laughs> yeah, million 30, views. 30, 32 million people that are like, what? Now, <laughs> I well, I wouldn't go that far. I'd say a lot of them probably really like it. But again, 1% of 32 million is, is still a lot. But if yeah, I, I recommend to everybody, go, go look at the music video for it just to read the comments. The, the comments are really funny. Here's one. This guy is going places. They aren't good places, but he's definitely going places. <laughs> this was a good one. Uh, I just celebrated my 50th anniversary with my wife, Phyllis. We played this song several times during our celebration at the nearby bridge club. It brings back so many memories of the peaceful and loving life that Phyllis and I have shaped over these years. God bless Stitches for being a part of our lives last few years. I play this on repeat when getting dressed for church. <laughs> I yearn to one day be as passionate about something as this man is about selling blow. <laughs> that, this this I one, mean, I, like, I like this one. I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I, I I don't want to get involved in that scene because don't? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so violent. It's like, why would you want to get, I mean, you know, metalheads go in there and there's a, a mosh pit and everybody gets wild and crazy, but nobody's trying to kill each other. That You get yeah. hurt because you're just getting too exuberant. This is like, I'm going to kill you. Well, <laughs> he, says, he says in the song, he makes money selling drugs, not rapping. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah it, it 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 does foster a culture of violence because mm -hmm. like they they do get popular from their music but the music is popular because they're bragging about their violent livelihood right it's, yeah. it's a a marketing tool for them I, well and what they're so, marketing is violence correct and, mm -hmm. but the funny thing is because this is not poetry this is this is like it's it's stupid rage. It's stupid yeah. rage. That's the best way yeah. to put it. It's it's just it's stupid rage and 
an AI could make better lyrics, a better song structure, and they could do it just as violent. You know, they could, and it would be more coherent and it would be, cause there was one part you, you didn't, if you heard the song, you would understand. He says like, I have an AK on my face. Uh, yeah, so something, that. but, but when he says like, cause you said pistol, but he says like, so, you know, I no, so, you know, I don't fire no pistol. Cause he says like pistol. pistol. So he yeah. rhymes like, O with, with like pistol and, and O. So gotcha. you, you could have a, like a better rhyming structure because he just speaks like a buffoon. So that is how he gets the rhymes to like the words don't actually rhyme. He just doesn't speak the language correctly. So that's how he, <laughs> he kind of tricks the, the listener into thinking that he's rhyming. See, when you just read it, you just read incoherent nonsense. Right. And, and AI will, I, I firmly believe it will replace that. And mostly because they just, they put the message out there and they don't have to worry about their, their musicians getting killed at, at 25. Like they could just keep, they keep the hits coming. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like who got another guy died. It doesn't matter. We would just, we just AI a new one. No uh, big I, deal. You know, I like great music, but you know, I mean, I go back to 1965 when where I was developing groups from the basement and what have you. I mean, I, I played one group, managed five groups and booked a hundred groups. And it, you know, everybody paid attention to learning their instruments and, how to write music and how to read music. And it was like, it was amazing. Now it's, you write eight bars, you copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, and that's music. Well, not really in my book. So. No, of course not. Uh, well, right and, and, with you. and that's why we, we say that heavy metal is not going to get replaced by AI. Like pe people are still no. doing it. People are still picking up guitars, drums, bass, and they're making and they're making rock and roll, uh, this rap stuff. Like I, I'm not going to say it's a fad that's going to go away. It's it's always going to be in the mainstream because it, it's huge. I mean, it's a billion dollar business. So you know, it, yeah, murder is good business. <laughs> yeah, <just> right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. Let's face it. It is it, as absurd as that sounds. Yeah. So, you know that they, they do their thing, and you know, I I just that's fine. There's nothing you can do. About I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's fine, but you know. Well, it, it, there's nothing we can do about it. We we try to mock it as much. Well, as yeah, we exactly. Can and let well, people people know that I, you know, yeah. this is not this is not good, and there is at least something we could do is is shame it by having yeah. people read the lyrics at least and, and comment on how nonsensical and how oh yeah no, miserable yeah, the, this the, is to have in the culture. And that's the why I, and that's why I disagree. Well, that's why I disagree that there's nothing we can do about it because we can ridicule it. And, and if enough people see, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Yeah, well, you're right. right. But I mean, that that's like a huge baby step. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But we, we understand that. We can. <laughs> it's something we can do, but it's not necessarily you're, you're right. winning strategy. The other thing we can do is put out great music. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and, you know, I mean, all, all the kids today are starting to go back to classic rock and say, hey, yeah. this stuff is good. And so, you know, it, it's got to take time. And, you know, just like going back to uh, vinyl, you know, all of a sudden, say, hey, that was warmer. That was great. This was cool. Okay. You, you find it again. It's new. Yeah, people only yeah. like this stuff because it's in front of them. 
you know you you, put right. some, you give them an alternative and and they'll prefer that that that's why th there's so much emphasis on nostalgia in, in all media now because that that's the stuff that people like people don't like the modern stuff people like the classic people even like they prefer analog to digital there, sure. there, there is something nicer about it. There's something more familiar, something more personal about it. People, people don't oh. like this new synthesized crap. The only people mm -hmm. that do, they like it because they don't know there's an alternative. It's as so th this as is that. where perfection becomes the enemy of great. Oh, it's, you know, you, you've got, you know, you got all these uh, techniques that everybody's got to get the music quote unquote perfect. And it becomes sterile. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it's and it becomes uninteresting. And when you put all your eggs in that basket, then people just they just leave, and then they right. and they leave music in general because like oh music sucks because no one has the the variety anymore. When Correct. When when your pop when your top forty is is the same five people over and over like uh, uh, let's let's do this um I I have this in front of me I don't do this with most people because I mean you've been around here we did this with I think uh, John Heinrich but I, I'll have the the top one hundred hits of nineteen eighty five. So this yeah. is the Billboard Top 100. So Careless Whisper by Wham. I want to know what love is. Foreigner, Like a Virgin, Madonna. Crazy for you, Madonna. Easy Lover, Phil Bailey, and Phil Collins. We Are the World by USA for Africa. Everybody Wants yeah. to Rule the World, Tears for Fears. Every Time mm -hmm. You Go Away, Paul Young. Power of Love, Huey Lewis and the News. Can't Fight This Feeling, Ario Speedwagon. Don't You Forget About Me, Simple Minds. Take On Me, Aha. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Cherish, Cool in the Gang, St. Elmo's Fire, John Parr, Saving All My Love for You, Whitney Houston, Raspberry Beret, Prince in the Revolution, Susudio uh, by Phil Collins, My Man, Phil Collins, Shout, Tears for Fears, Heaven, Brian Adams, Part-Time Lover, Stevie Wonder, View to a Kill by Duran Duran, that's a great song, by the way, The Heat is On, Glenn Frey, Everything She Wants by Wham, You're the Inspiration my Chicago. If You Love Someone, Set Them Free by Sting, Lover Boy Billy Ocean, Oh Sheila by Ready for the World, Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge, One More Night by, again, the champ Phil Collins, Freeway of Love, Aretha Franklin, Never Surrender, Corey Hart, You Give Good Love by Whitney Houston, The Wild Boys, Duran Duran, We Don't Need Another Hero, Tina Turner, Miami Vice Theme by Jan Hammer, which is funny, uh, One Night in Bangkok by Murray Head, Things Can Only Get Better by Howard Jones, The Search is Over, Survivor, Night Shift by Commodores. Now, that's just the top 40. Now, there were a few repeat names, but for yeah, the most part, many. it's not that many. Like, the top yeah. 40 now, it's it's all this, it's like the same five people. Like, like Nicki Minaj and Drake have a have a, an album out, and they have five singles, and those there's your top 10 hits of the year. But <laughs> but here, and a lot of those those repeats, like, those were great songs, and, they, like, these bands and these artists, they had really good years, but for the most part, that's a pretty big variety. Of the of the 40, it's it's probably 30 different artists, and, 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 yep. and, and, and that's just the top 40. And a lot of those, the repeats, it's because those artists had an album that year that was really big, but when you go down the list, you get way more diversity because you have people that had big singles instead of big albums. 
Like right. that's when you get to, you know, John Mellencamp, Don Henley, Honey Drippers, Power Station, New Edition, David Lee Roth, Hollow Notes, Eurythmics, Starship. Like it, it's just uh, Katrina and the Waves, like a bunch of songs that we all know, but they just didn't have big albums. They had big singles where that doesn't right. happen anymore. Now you have like two or three artists that have an album and all their singles, they're just blasted everywhere. And then now those are the biggest songs of the year because that's, that's what's given radio space. And well, and the, the thing no one is else that is radio it. is no longer. Well, sure. Radio. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's YouTube. It's and all the, YouTube. And the programmers, and right. The programmers absolutely locked everything in. Yep. And there's nothing you can do about it. And then, you know, when you get the promotion out there, Live Nation controls the world. Yep. So, that, yep. It, well, you know, that, especially after they took over Ticketmaster. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like when we had Rick Ernst on, who was working at MTV, he said he was there the day they said, turn the metal off, stop playing metal. Like that, that was, it wasn't, this isn't selling. They just said, just don't play it. So they dictate what they want people to hear. And what they want right. people to hear is I put that brick in your face. Say what, what you going to do with it? That's what they want people to hear. Otherwise it wouldn't have 32 million views. It, clearly they want people to hear this and they want people to behave this way. Well, there's always been a dichotomy. You've got the art world and you've got the business side of it. And the business side of it is pure marketing and it, it's all numbers. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could argue on either side. I mean, if you're looking at it from the business standpoint, they're wildly successful. If you look at it from an artistic standpoint, it's like, oh my God, Bankrupt. what have you done in our world? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's not art. Let's like, let's be fair it, there. Cause there's no you. internal expression about anything. It, it's, it's just, it, it's just an unadulterated tantrum. Like that's all it is. It's just people right. screaming emotionally, but there, there's nothing. It, it, it's the, it's the equivalent of like you put a firework, like you put an M80 in a paint can and then you put that in front of like a, like a canvas and you're like, this is my art. Like, that's not your art. Like you just, you just blew something up and paint hit it. Like that's, that's not art. And then, oh, and if anyone's like, well, who are you to say that's not art? I, I, I'm an intelligent person. Like compare. I think you just started a whole new genre of art, my friend. Well, isn't that basically <laughs> modern art? Yeah, that is modern art. Isn't that what's his name? Uh, Jackson Pollock, pretty much. Yeah. There was a, like, well, there was a there was a, an art professor that he he showed uh, uh, this picture, and then he asked his art students, "How do you, how does this Jackson Pollock painting make you feel?" And they were all like, "Oh, this is." This is showing the duality uh, of, uh, of rage and love. Like they're all trying to sound smart. And then he just, he showed them like he zoomed out and he's like, that's just a picture of my apron. Like you, (laughs) it's not a Jackson Pollock painting and you're not as smart as you think you are. And it was really just to, to kind of weed out the people that think they understand art. Because of course art is subjective and then, you know, you might see something and like, oh wow, this actually touches me. But I think there is a difference between abstract art and a a Frazetta painting. Like, or, or, you know, even the, the the Sistine Chapel, like there, there are, there are beautiful works of art Mm -hmm. and then there's just nonsense. And 
the, this modern rap, it, like it, it's the equivalent, honestly, of like a four-year-old drawing, like this is mommy, daddy, the dog, uh, me and a son. It's like, the son is like a triangle. Like the, the, the dog <laughs> is just like a brown line. And like, like every, that's, that's it's, yeah, exactly. Like every, everyone who, who's been around children or someone who's had children, they've seen the picture, but like you say like, Oh, it's so nice that you have this. And it's more that this child is growing and doing something. They have like an awareness and they're able to visualize it, but you don't, you don't yeah. like, you don't parade it. Like, wow, look at, look at the composition here. Look at the depth of the field. Like, and you don't, you, like, it's a child. They don't know how to draw. They're terrible at it. And it's the same thing. Like these rappers, they don't know how to write. They're stupid, angry, violent monsters. And, and it's just, it's just put out there for people to, to think that it's music. And it does, it gatekeeps people from actual music and actual creative behavior. Because when you, when you make real music and you're actually creative, like, like Max, it's the, it's the same thing. Like if this guy's doing this like 10 hours a day, he's mm -hmm. obviously smart enough to do it. And if you, and if you're, you're not stimulating yourself intellectually with anything, whether it's music or actual painting or uh carpentry or anything where you're creating something, your intelligence does drop. Especially if you're just watching nonsense all day, like you're watching mm -hmm. like TikToks with where drill rappers are talking about all the people that they killed instead of like actually creating something constructive, you do become less intelligent and you become more susceptible to bad behaviors because you don't have the intelligence to say, ha, huh, you know, this guy put this brick in my face and he asked, what am I going to do with it? Well, I better, I better put it in my nose instead of saying, no, thanks. You look like a, a, an, an uncouth customer that I probably shouldn't be associating with. Oh God. The world we live in. A fallen yeah. world we live in. Uh, well, yeah, I, aren't you glad? Yeah. Go ahead. Go, oh, go ahead. ahead. Now I was going to say, aren't you glad we, we introduced you to stitches, Ed? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, well, yeah, your, your life is better for knowing that it exists. Your life is worse yeah. for listening to it, taking it seriously and trying to apply the lessons that that person is, is uh, espouting to your own life. But knowing that it exists, knowing that the dregs of society exist and they are popular does enrich you because you now know if someone tells you, Hey, have you heard the new track by stitches? You know, <laughs> to not engage them intellectually. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> forearmed or forewarned is forearmed as they say. Without a doubt. <laughs> I, I think, I think this is probably a, a, a good time to wrap it up. So Ed, do, do you, anything you want to, you want to plug for, for the people at home? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, you know, Max, if, if you follow Max DiCarlo, uh, www.maxdicarlo.com. That's D-I-C-A-R-L-O. And uh, Ray Griggs is uh, amazing. Uh, Max is working with him on those um, podcasts. And you can find those on um, 
iTunes or I guess I, yeah, iTunes, iPodcasts, uh, and on Spotify, and they drop every two every other Tuesday. Uh, they're kind of amazing episodes, half hour episodes that are super entertaining between the music and the the sound design and the stories and the characters uh, and the, the different, the, there's different storylines all the time. So it, it never gets boring. And uh, also they need to watch out for um, Marston Smith, Lord of the cello <laughs> stuff coming. We're, we're putting together a whole act with him. That's, He's always been solo, and now we're doing things where there's going to be a band behind him, and there's going to be illusions and all kinds of interesting stuff going on besides the costumes and what have you. Um, and the music is amazing. And then hopefully uh, things are going to get wilder here with Connecticut Film. Uh, it's Right now, I'm working with four production companies, and and the, the head of the alliance is working with all the major studios. So it, it's going along very, very nicely, and I I can't thank you enough for having me on. Oh, was an absolute pleasure, Ed. You know, come come back anytime. Honestly, we'd love to to have you on anytime. You got new new news? I know you're up to a bunch of stuff <laughs> oh, it's, you know it's uh i'm sure we could we could figure out other things to talk about you know it, it was an absolute pleasure really really appreciate your time and and thank you for for your friendship as well i do really appreciate that you know you you are a well, pleasure thank you you guys are a pleasure too this is wonderful no uh, thank you thank you and, look, and look forward to talking again absolutely for everyone you know Please uh, consider joining our Patreon. Um, we will, you know, um, put the links out as well as all of Ed's links where you can find him at. And for everyone at home, you know, have you, you know, happy New Year again. And please, please stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.